get yourself some of this. In this corner with Brian Campbell is back and ready to pass your guard with another lethal dose of the one drug USADA cannot keep away from the sport. That performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell is the voice that you hear. Just about ready to tag in my cohort, my man, to reunite MMA's greatest audio tag team and continue this new era. Welcome to the Machida era. No, 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 Joe Rogan. Not that era. I'm talking about TBC and King Mo. Muhammad Lawal back on the scene, crispy and clean. And ready to keep it 100 on a number of fresh topics. The good and gracious king pulls no punches this week as he returns to handicap the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix Tournament of which he will be part of in 2018 and come original on whether Michael Bisping should have been allowed to compete at UFC Shanghai over the weekend just three weeks after his loss to George St. Pierre. Mo also joins me to preview in painstaking detail. Saturday strong UFC 218 card from Detroit headlined by Holloway Aldo part two and react to recent news involving the likes of Amanda Nunez, Chris Cyborg, Ben Askren, and much, much more. And if you have yet to do your part in spreading the word of this audio revolution, well, look, I got one thing to say to you. I'm not impressed by your performance. Let me remind you that if you like something that you hear today on the show, if you see something, say something. It's very easy. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, review. Heck, shout us out on social media using that trusty hashtag in this corner. It only takes 60 seconds of your time. Heck, that's more time than Conor McGregor needed to send Jose Aldo to hell a few years back if you can still smell what the Notorious was cooking. It is a beautiful aroma that arouses me but without any further ado it's time to clear the way for mma royalty so sit back buckle up and enjoy oh yeah it's king mo it's bc the mma tag team is back in action king mo it's been a few weeks man since we rock and rolled and a lot has gone down we got a lot to break down today but you know tell give the listeners an update on the life of the king how's everything going my man everything's better now that the podcast is back I feel like, remember the cartoons when the, um, a guy's been gone for a long time, they come back and they have a long gray beard? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel today. You know, um, I feel like we've been gone for almost a year, even though it's only been about two or three weeks. You know, I'm so used to doing this. I enjoy doing this. You know, I'm, I'm happy we're back on, back on the air. You know well, saying? we got a lot of people tweeting at us going, you know, where's the king? I gotta get, I gotta get the update on what's going on. And in the weeks that we've been gone, we're going to hit it right off the top of big reveal in the world of MMA that's involving the great Muhammad Luwal. The Bellator MMA World Grand Prix will kick off in 2018. The goal to crown a new Bellator heavyweight champion. The title has been in flux for a couple of years now, right? Uh, Minik- was it Minikoff who had the belt for a while? He got stripped for inactivity. The the belt has been sitting there for a while, but now we have – I call it a perfect tournament, King Mo. We're going to get into the matchups, but just the the, pro- the structure here. Scott Coker, perfect history in the past of doing this with Strike Force. He, of course, had that heavyweight Grand Prix you know, earlier this decade, which at the time really provided competition for the UFC – and this re- reboot in Bellator is like the perfect mix of top guys, faded names, light heavyweights coming up. I mean, it's like part carnival, part like I just want to see what these matchups look like. Give us the process of you 
getting involved in this? How excited were you? You know, when did you find out about it? What's going on here? Well, you know, with me, I, I t- Bellator knows anytime there's a term involved and it involves heavyweights or heavyweights, throw me in there. Like, I don't know, like, really. I heard about it and I was like, am I in it? And they're like, yep. And I just left it at that. I didn't ask no more questions. I didn't care to know who was in it because I had, a, I had an idea. If it's a heavyweight tournament, I had an idea who was in it. So I just kind of, they told me I was going to be in it. I left it at that. And, uh, now everybody knows the matchups and I'm ready to go. There's like an old school feel to this though, King Mo. And you, you are of that old school ilk where you don't care about weight, weights, you know, moving up and down in weight. You've been in, in a, uh, one night tournament in the past, right? Earlier in your career. And then in Bellator, you had gotten hurt in that four man light heavy one, one that they had. It kind of like touches just enough on the old school nostalgia. It's not like a one night UFC one tournament, but it does touch on the old school nostalgia. And there's an actual crown at stake at the end. So I think everything together, it's single elimination. So there's not going to be any hiccups there. It really sets up to stretch out over a full year and be really entertaining. So, I mean, I got to be pumped up about this, meaning that I'm going to get some old guy names that I like. I'm going to get some fun old guy matchups that where there's actual grudges, but I could get some interesting matchups when you're talking about a light heavyweight moving up and maybe facing like a Fedor. Like there could be some crazy possibilities in this thing. Yeah. You know, it, it, the thing is like you have, you have your giants, you have your small heavyweights, and you have your <clears throat> tiny heavyweights, like me, me. And you got Bader, who's a small heavyweight. You got Fader, who's a small heavyweight. Then you got giants like Frank Mir, uh, Mitrione, Roy Nelson, you know, and even Quinn's a giant, cause Quinn's 250 something pounds, you know what I'm saying? So, it's gonna be interesting to see these matchups, see how things play out. I don't see who gets injured or what happens and who the alternates. That's going to be the interesting thing right there. We're going to touch on the alternates in a second. I want to go through matchup by matchup just to get your early take on this. We'll start January 20th at the Forum in Inglewood, California, with a very sexy matchup. Chael Sonnen versus Quentin Rampage Jackson, a guy you know a lot about inside the cage. When I see this matchup, you're getting the star power, right? Two giant names from the UFC that can talk trash. Style-wise, though, it's like puncher versus wrestler. This could be really fun. Yeah, and this one... It's a toss-up, man, 50-50, because I can see Chael wearing Quentin out with wrestling and smothering him and getting him tired. At the same time, I can see Quentin landing a good shot and stunning or scaring Chael into taking bad shots and capitalizing on Chael's mistakes. It's a toss-up right there. Um, Quentin has fought maybe like twice in the past three years. You know, Chael's fought once or twice in the past two years. So it's the layoffs, you know, just the layoffs and everything. It's, it's they're on the same footing. Chell's a little, a little younger, probably fresher, but I don't know, man. Um, Quinn has that power. Now, Chael had to eat a lot of strikes, King Mo, at the Bellator NYC pay-per-view against Vanderlei Silva to be able to take him down and consistently control that three-round fight on the ground. He'll be facing a larger, bigger puncher here. Uh, is there more danger for him? Or, I mean, could he capitalize on Rampage not being in the best shape of his career at this point? Well, I'm going to be real. Like, Quentin is in shape. You know, like, he can't make 205. Even if he even if he could, like, even if he could make it, he'd be in good shape, but he would be able to go three rounds. Just, just I think he's just a little too old. You know, um, gotten a little older, lost motivation, or lost his, uh, lost, yeah, motivation in a sense. Um, now, with Chael, Chael will be facing a bigger puncher, but a slower man. A bigger, slower man. You know, it's gonna be harder for him to take him down, but at the same time, once he gets in there, 
it's gonna take a little muscle, but if he can use his uh misdirection and cut the corner, then uh he'll be they'll serve him well. But if he tries to power through him with a head-on power shot like he did uh, Vandalay, that will not work. Quentin will stop that. Quentin stopped a few of my shots. It got to the point where I wasn't even shooting because I didn't want to wait, feel his, feel his hips when I shot in because he's so big. So I was just snatching a shot, snatching a single to high crotch, trying to finish on that just to, um, just to save, um, just, um, so I wouldn't run to his hips and get stunned because no lie, Quentin has some very dense bones and I shot him, shot into him before and a few times with his hip bone in the first fight, he stunned me with my, with my, by sprawling and jamming his hip bone inside my head. So, wow, you know, a little uh, hip shot there. You don't see that too often. No, you don't see it, but it happens in wrestling a lot. So Chell has to be careful, um, with the way he does with the, with the, with the interest level, with the interest on his shot. He has to be, he has to be real aware of, uh, where Quentin's hands are and his hips. Definitely. Now, no disrespect to these guys in saying this, but I tweet out a lot, hashtag old guy fights. I love hashtag old guy fights because sometimes when guys are getting in that late second half of their career, you tend to see more action. You tend to see a brawl breakout. But old guy fights can be feast or famine. Remember Tito versus Stefan Bonner in the Bellator cage? That was sloppy three rounds. That was the famine. We've seen some feasts. I mean, even... Let's be honest, even Ken Shamrock Kimbo Slice was fun. I mean, that was a wild little fight. I wonder if this one can become two older guys being tired laying on the mat at the end of the fight. I hope not because there's potential for fireworks, not just in the trash talk and the buildup. There's potential for fun action. But I wonder if this becomes one of those where by the third round we're like, wow, this thing's still going on? No, I don't think so because I'm going to play like this. Quinn is hard to keep on his back. You can take him down. But good luck keeping them up, especially weighing 250 pounds. If it's 205 pounds, 210 pounds, 215 pounds, I would say Chell, take him down and keep him on his back. But the mere fact that he's over 230, it's over 230. Chell might be 230 come fight time, but Quentin will be about 250, 245 to 250, maybe 255. Good luck trying to hold him down. I, I, I can see Chell, Chell will shoot, but he'll take smarter shots. Shot that he, he won't waste any energy on his attempts. So, Chell will spend some time on his feet. If he was out there trying to shoot over and over again, he will get sprawled on and, and punished. So, I, I think Chell will be smarter with his insurance. He'll be smart with his setup. He will fight and keep quick, keep Quentin comfortable on his feet so he gets the takedown. And then from then on, he'll work. That's but even when he gets the takedown, it's going to be hard keeping Quentin on his back. Very it's hard. going to be very interesting. One month later, Kingmo, February 16th at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, Matt Mitrione versus Roy Nelson. This is maybe the least sexiest matchup of the eight big names in this, but it's still very interesting. But we did see this before in the UFC a few years back, correct? Yeah, I saw it before. I actually helped Roy train for this fight. Roy knocked him out, I believe, in the first round in Vegas at the Ultimate Fight Night finale, I believe. Was it the, I think it was the Palms. I believe it was with the Palms, I believe. I, I was there because um, at, at that time, uh, Jeff, um, Jeff Mayweather was training Roy Nelson with his hands. Yeah, so this was, was uh, December fifteenth, two 2012, the Tough 16 finale. It was a uh, first-round TKO, correct? Yeah, I was, I was, I was there. Um, yeah, um, it's going to be interesting because you see um, Matt Mitchell at that time was training with who knows. He still was in Indiana. or I don't know who he was training with. Whoever he was training with was no good mm-hmm. for him at that time. Now he's with um, he's with the um, combat club Henry Hoof. He's a good, a better striking coach. He still works with Layman Brewster with his hands. Um, his wrestling's gotten better. His jiu-jitsu's gotten better, but it's not good enough to beat Roy as far as the ground game. 
Roy, Roy's got a little, Roy's slowed down a little bit, but at the same time, Roy still has the ground game he can fall back on. It's going to be interesting because stand up, on the stand up, I feel like Matt Mitchell has the variety, um, advantage, but then the power advantage goes straight to Roy. On the ground, the advantage is clearly in Roy's, clearly, clearly in Roy's favor, but the athleticism and the, the size and dimensions and the intangibles, I feel like I'm Matt Mitchell's favorite. I mean, Matt Jones, he's always been a wild card to this division because he's got that odd quickness for a big man. He's awkward. But at the same time, we've seen him buzzed and dropped a few times in victories under the Bellator banner. I mean, a couple of his victories, including the Fedor one, he's had to walk through some hell to get there. So Roy's not the type of boxer that you want to be, you know, you know, bouncing off of his punches to try to get back there to win it. Yeah, and really, let's be real, Roy's a brawler puncher so if matt wants to do good matt has to kickbox and box him and keep the fight technical because the fight becomes a firefight then he's definitely he's definitely in trouble because that's when things get wild chaos ensures and then uh that's when roy lands his overhand right so if i were him i'd try to make it a boxing kickboxing match just keep it keep it at range but roy is hard-headed sensei roy comes forward he won't stop throwing them punches and uh it's gonna be a good one hard-headed and big bellied King Mo, and that's part of the gimmick right there for Roy Nelson. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, definitely. Uh, we fast forward to April, Allstate Arena in Chicago. Wow. Talk about a fight I'm fired up for. Fedor Emelianenko versus former UFC champion Frank Mir. Wow. Like there's some star power in this. There's an interesting matchup here. It's kind of a dream fight for MMA a decade ago, right? When these two heavyweights were on top, Fedor I mean, he's kind of washed, but he's still dangerous. It's in Mir. Look, this is will be his Bellator debut, his end run at UFC with the PED suspension, with some losses. Wasn't that great? But, man, it's if you tell me Frank Mir is the favorite in this tournament, I can't outright tell you you're wrong. I mean, that jiu-jitsu game is going to bring a lot here. How do you break this one down? First, let, 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 me, let me ask you a question. How do you break this one down? And, I, and I'll, go, I'll go to my breakdown because I, I, I have a few different – ways of breaking this down, but I just want to see what you, what your thought is first. All right. To me, this is the history of Frank Mir's second half of his career for me. I mean, he's 38 years old right now. When he comes in in shape, he's got a great chance to win. When he doesn't come in in shape, he looks sluggish in there, and he typically loses, right? He's lost something like six of his last eight. A lot of times it comes down to that to me on how bad does he come in and want it. Sometimes I think he comes in and just relies on his jiu-jitsu as a crutch. But when he's motivated and goes in there as a striker, like he did against uh, Big Nog, and ended up, you know, taking him out and then submitting him in the rematch, I really favor Frank here. Not just because Fedor's really on that on the end of his run there and, and can be dropped and rocked, you know, fairly easily comparative to his prime. I like Mir a lot in this, but obviously, if this goes into GNP on the ground, I mean, Fedor's still going to be the bigger man with an advantage here. Yeah, you know what? And, and things you're saying. Makes sense, but you're taking, you're not taking a few things into consideration. Um, Frank Mir's layoff. True. You know what I'm saying? Cause he's a fight, what, in two years? He did fight in March of 2016 when he got knocked out in one round by Mark Hunt in Australia. Okay. So now, now let's fast forward. Let's rewind it before that. Who did, who did he fight before that? A full one year layoff when he lost to Arlovsky, which was a bad loss for him by decision. So in, in, so in essence, we're looking at a three-year layoff then, pretty much. Uh, yeah, just one appearance in the past, you know, two and a half years, or two, you know, two years basically. Yeah, three-year layoff because he had a one-round fight with Frank with uh, with uh, Mark Hunt, where he got stopped. I remember that fight. Nothing much. He didn't really do anything. He just got stopped. 
know what I'm saying? It was, I, think, I believe it was like, what, three minutes or two minutes, something like that? It was quick. And, and don't forget, went, even before the – he had a little two-win win streak there against uh, Bigfoot Silva and Todd Duffy. But before that, that was a four-fight losing streak. All, you know, pretty destructive. I mean, granted, he fought big names, Dos Santos, Cormier, Barnett, Overeem. But, like, yeah, me me putting all that confidence in Frank Mir, King Mo, has to – it is a little bit of a leap for the things you're saying. The layoff, the is he going to be in shape, the fact that we've seen him get dusted for by, you know, pretty consistently over the past five years, if we're really honest. Well, I think that he'll be in shape. I know his coach, um, Coach Reyes, um, good boxing coach. Um, I think that he'll be in shape. My only thing is – what styles he come with? Will he come with the old karate style? Because people forget that he could kick. He can he's a, he a karate his karate background. People forget he's good he's a good ground game. But the speed, that's one thing. I feel like he put on so much weight that he lost his speed. True. Now it's not ain't that bad. He throw put punches together, but his speed is is the issue. And and don't forget when he fought when he fought Todd Duffy, granted it was a it was a banger. Well he blew him out, but he got rocked himself. By Todd Duffy, you that know, fight was um, just just over a minute. That was a that was a war there. Yeah, it was just it was it was a war, but you know, both got hurt. But 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 Todd went to sleep. But the thing is, the intangible in this fight will be Fedor's speed. That's gonna be the that's it, does he still have it? Because honestly, we haven't really seen it that much over the past few years. Does he still have it, or will it will will it be apparent when he fights Frank Mir because Frank Mir is so big? You know, that's 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 the question I have. Like. I feel like Fedor and Frank Mir have the same gas tank because Fedor will get tired. He's gotten a little older. You see his fight with Baldonado. He got tired in that fight. You know, granted, went three rounds. It was a war, but he got tired. Fedor can get hit. We've seen it before. Fedor makes mistakes on the ground. His respect jiu-jitsu. We've seen that before at Verdum. No respect for jiu-jitsu. So that's got to call it. Look, if this fight goes past one, I don't know how Fedor wins it. Well, if if it, if it goes past one, I know how Fedor wins it. Fedor will fight for, for, with the striking. You know what I'm saying? Because the thing is, it, both of them have the same way of winning with striking, but or submissions. But I don't see it going to the ground like that. I, feel, I see someone getting someone getting knocked out. Um, it, it could be it could be Fedor or it could be Frank. I don't know, but I just know that the intangibles lie in Fedor's favor as far because of speed and the speed and the power. That's the main thing. He can with one punch. They both can land one punch, but who would you rather get hit by, Fedor or Frank Mir? True. I would much rather get hit by Frank Mir, but Fedor's got to do something about those defensive holes. Like, move your head, you know, create a clinch, like, do something. He's just so there to be hit at this age that it's really tough. But hit by who? Don't forget, Maldonado was a pro boxer. True. True. And then, and then, and then Frank Mir just had it. Frank Mir's a big dude. Just come with the, they both landed the punch at the same time, so Frank Mir got up faster. Would you, you know, agree, you though, at this statement, at the very least, that Frank Mir is the biggest wild card of the tournament? Like, if he comes in here gung ho, in shape, mentally refocused, it's he might be. Uh, he might, be, you know. I mean, you're in it, so you have a different. You're going to have a different opinion than, than anyone on the outside looking in. But I mean, he could be the guy if he comes in really wanting this. Nah, I think it's Fedor is the biggest wild card. Wow, I like that. I like that. That's that's some old school. I mean, people are going to come at you with the. With the conditioning, with the chin, there's some there's some you know red flags there. Every dog has one good tournament left. Crow Cop had it. Yeah, he True. beat me. He did. He did. He, I thought he was past done, but he, he had a great outing that night. Great outing. He came looked good, great. Was in shape. Looked looked bigger. Looked, was was healthy for once. You know. Um. But uh, I don't. I think Fedor, knowing this might be his last hurrah, I think they come come guns a blazing. I think they come with 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 the passion. He's gonna come and fight. He's gonna come to fight because really, 
outside of Frank Mir, who like outside of Frank Mir, Mitch Jones on the other side. You know, I'm, I'm outside of Frank Mir. After he beats Frank Mir, or if he beats Frank Mir, then who's he have after that? Quinn or um or or, or Chael. So let's put it like this. Let's put it like this. If he beats if he beats Matt, he's gonna make it to the finals. Wow. Straight. He's gonna make it to the finals. So you were saying if Fedor beats Mir, he's going to the finals. Is what you're saying? Yeah, because I I don't I don't see I don't see Chael um being Fedor, especially after how Fedor like just watching Fedor. Versus Frank, um, versus um, versus my boy uh, Matt Lindland. I remember that fight, you know, because Matt Lindland told me about it, and I just, just when you look at Chael and you look at Matt Lindland's demeanor, Matt Lindland was more of a dog. Matt Lindland was like, whatever, I'm gonna come and fight you. Chael, when Chael was the with Chael in the cage with with um with Fedor, he's gonna be more cautious and he won't be as aggressive. If he's aggressive, it's out of fear. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that. Chael, I think Chael's gonna come come in that fight a little worried if he, if he has to fight um, Fedor next. I have to talk, so, you know, from just from the standpoint of being a fan, and you're talking about sexy matchups. You're talking about hashtag all guy fights. Fedor versus either Chael Sonnen yeah. or Rampage Jackson would get me tuned in, ready, fired up, ready to go, just to see what that looks like, whether it's a car wreck or not. I want to be there. I want to see that King Mo. Hey, that's what this tournament offers. But the fourth matchup. It might be the best in terms, it is the best in terms of prime fighter versus, versus, you know, guy, at least pretty damn close to his prime here. Ryan Bader, the light heavyweight champion for Bellator against your guy, my guy, the man who shares this podcast, King Mo Lawal. The title will not be on the line. This will be obviously be a heavyweight fight as part of this tournament. King Mo, did you, once you signed on for this tournament, did it matter who you were fighting first? Did you even know who you were fighting first? And when you found out it was Bader, what's your reaction? Well, really, when I, when I didn't care. My my main goal in this tournament is to win it, but before that is to fight Fedor. That's my main goal. Wow. That's my main goal. Like, you know what? I want to win the tournament, but my main like, look, look, I, Fedor is a legend. Respect him. I love Fedor. You know, I, I, if I if, if if it's like if I couldn't fight him, I would reach out to the people and be like, hey, I'd love to come to Russia and train with Fedor for a month, or Fedor come to America Top Team. Let's train. Let's bang it out. Let's spar. You know, I don't, you know, that's me. But the best thing to do since I can't get that is to fight him. Why not? I want to fight Fedor. So, you know what? I'm going to beat Ryan Bader. I'm going to punish Ryan Bader. I'm going to beat him. Trust me, I already have things set up. My camp, everything. So, I'm going to beat Ryan Bader. Wow. Yes, I'm going to beat Ryan Bader. I'm going to punish him. And then um, the, the, the semifinal, I don't know what's going to happen with that. I hope it's not. Oh, I hope I, I can talk to Bellator. We can redraw the brackets because I don't. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Who are you saying? Who do you hope it's not if you get to the semifinals? I hope it's not Roy, but at the same time, I hope it's Roy because I want Roy to win. But. Is that like a, what, what, that's a, that Roy's your guy, right? Yeah, that's my boy, man. That's, that's my sensei. I don't want to fight Roy, but hopefully we can redraw the bracket. I'm going to talk to Bellator. Hopefully once I smash Vader, <laughs> we can draw the brackets. I'll fight Fedor in the semifinals. Wow. You know, you know what would be a great matchup? Roy Nelson versus the winner of Chael and Rampage. Wow, three big reveals here from King Mo. Doesn't want to fight Roy. He's going to basically send Bader to hell. And this guy wants Fedor. He doesn't care if it's in the cage, if it's in the gym. He just wants to, to be with the legend and get and get the experience. I was ready for you to drop this quote on us. When he step foot in the cage, they're going to pay the price with nap time. Oh, yeah. It might be nap time for, for Darth Bader here, King Mo. I mean, this guy. Hey, you have history I'm reading, right? Did you guys meet up college wrestling uh, quarterfinals of the 2003 NCAA? A tournament is this truth? 
Now we were, now we met at, um, um, it was the quarterfinals of national duels. National, it was, it was Oklahoma State versus Arizona State. And I wrestled in the net quarterfinals and did my thing. You know did you think? Did you get the, how did that work? Did you get the pin? Was it a points thing? Break it down for us. I don't remember. I saw I, I beat them pretty handily because, you know, we smashed, we smashed Arizona State. They weren't even, it wasn't even close. They might have won like two matches, but we ran through them. All right, so Chael Sonnen was interviewed by my, my good man from ESPN, Brett Okamoto, to get his thoughts on each matchup. When he broke down Bader King Mo, he said matchup-wise, King Bader is probably running into his toughest one right out of the gate in King Mo. Real simple, the key to victory for King Mo, says Chael Sonnen, stay healthy. That seems to be his biggest kryptonite. But he says when Mo gets in there with heavyweights, Mo is a handful. End quote. Uh, Chael uh, kind of made you the favorite of this tournament. Basically said, if you get in there and you can be prime King Mo, and you can provide the math equation of hands <laughs> plus wrestling equals a problem, then yeah. this whole bracket's going to have issues. Your response here to Chael's comments. Thanks, Chael. You know, um, hands versus wrestling equals a problem. I hope you follow the same equation with Quentin because that equations work um i'm just looking forward to having fun he's whooping some ass this tournament like seriously like you know i've been i've been thinking i'm like man you know what i am at the end of my career kind of you know what i'm saying i'm like towards the end of my career but it's time to bring the dog out you know i've been a dog but it's time to be aggressive and be in kill mode and when i fight bader like you'll see some wrestling you'll see some hands but you're gonna see kill mode i'm not gonna ain't no backing up if Bader wants to stand the bang and the say we can stand the bang, I don't care. You know what I'm saying? You want to make the wrestling match, we can make it a wrestling match. But my thing is, let's make this a fight. Let's fight. Let's fight. Let's fight. Let's All right, do this. First of all, I love these promos. It makes me want to hit this button. In my home, this is my home right here. This is America Top Team. Don't you don't disrespect me in my home. First of all, never disrespect King Mo in his home, and his home is the cage. So King Mo, Ryan Bader. Last couple times out, uh, specifically the title victory over Phil Davis. He's not afraid to stink out a fight or be involved in a stinker to get the victory. You're saying this one will not devolve into a stinker. Hell no, it won't be. You know, I, look, I, I'm telling you this, man. Like, I got, man, I got, I got to go out there and lay it on the line, man. It's a fight. You know, I, I, I love doing this. You know, I, you know, I love training. I love fighting. I love, I love everything I do in this, but this right here, I'm more passionate in this one. I'm always been passionate, but this tournament, I love tournaments and I don't know, man. I feel like I'm made for them and I, I got, I got to prove myself in this one because the last one with Crow Cop didn't go the way I wanted to. And now, now I gotta, I gotta make things right. I gotta win this tournament, smash them boys. And hopefully I can entice Crow Cop into coming to Bellator so I can get this rematch. Oh, wow. Wow. Yes. Why don't we just call everybody back? I want to go, I want King Mo to go on a tour. Of avenging all of his past defeats. Can we get Rafael Cavalcanti on line one, King Mo? Can we run that back? I'm, look, it's like this. Let's, let's, let's one up it. Let's one up this. Let's have a mega tournament. Let's have like a big 16 man or 32 man bracket. Let's just fight. Fight every, every month. Let's have fights wow. every month. I'm, I'm down for that. You know, why not? That's, we fight for a living. Sounds like paid. Michael Bisping here. Let's fight every weekend. That's another story we'll get to in a second. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Why, why not? If I could fight every week or if I could fight every other day and stay healthy and do it and get paid to do it, I would do that. I'll be fighting right now. See, you're trying to create like an NCAA tournament. I'm just trying to create a King Mo redemption tour where it's like, hey, let's get Emmanuel Newton. You want to spin that back fist? Let's spin it right now. All right, bro? I, I, the thing is, I have a feeling 
I have a feeling this is all, like all my rematches. I, I know I'm gonna get Paige out again. I just don't know when, but I know I will. And a man, Emmanuel Newton. I'm hoping I can get him again, but I don't know where he's at. You know what I'm saying? I know he just fought in Russia recently. I think is he but, with Bellator anymore? No, nah, he got cut. All right, all right. So I guess you won that rivalry in the end, right? You're still getting paid. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> all right, all right. I mean, you know, you you already read it back against Quentin and won that. You know, you already got that. Hey, Phil Davis is still out there. If we want to go on a a t- redemption tour, all right, there's some options. Yeah, I'm definitely down for that. I'm definitely down for that. All right. King Mo, we got a lot more to get to, but before we close on this Bellator Grand Prix, uh, Rory McDonald, the welterweight and the ghost of Shane Carwin both said, Hey guys, we, w- I want to be an alternate in this in case anyone gets injured. Your thoughts on that? Fine. Have Shane Carwin versus, um, versus Rory McDonald, a heavyweight. Well, not again. I guess they want to, they want to be in the bullpen ready in case somebody gets hurt. Listen, know? I'm going to play this. Had them two fight because first of all, Shane Carwin ain't gonna fight. He pulled out the Risen tournament. You know what I'm saying? He ain't fighting who knows how long. I think he just, it sounds good and he wants to, but he ain't going to. Rory, Rory wants to, and if he wants to, let him, like, let him fight, let him fight, let him get a taste of the heavyweight action. Let him fight Chet Congo. Hey, if I'm Scott Coker though, I'm saying, hey, Rory, hey, Gaygard, I love your, uh, motivation, but we need you <laughs> for main events in the other weight classes. So why don't you guys just take a step off the ledge, guys? Come on. But, but, but I think, I think, um, I think with, uh, Musasi, he might be on a little break right now. You know what I'm saying? Cause that last fight, who knows what happened to his eye and tough one. Very, it was a good fight. Um, very true. Now, Rory, let Rory fight Chuck Congo to see what it's like to fight a heavyweight because once he fights a heavyweight, being that small, he's gonna realize, well, let me change some things because you don't want to go into the heavyweight division fighting, fighting a heavyweight when you never really trained with one or fought, sparred with any before. So if he wants to fight a heavyweight, fight Chuck Congo. You know what I'm saying? Beat Chuck. Then that's good. You beat checked and fight the win of the tournament. I'm cool with it. Uh, to close on this for real this time, do you do you prefer fighting bigger guys in this tournament? I mean, I know you're getting you're drawing a guy in your own weight class in Bader, but do you actually prefer the advantages you'll have as a smaller heavyweight? Well, let's be real. I'm a small 205er, so every time I might fight somebody, for the most part, they're bigger than me. Um, with Bader, I'm at Bader's got the size advantage when he fight, but I'm the speed range. I'm gonna have a lot of advantages. He just don't know which yet. He'll know it when he gets hit with his jab and his cross. He's going to know it once he gets touched. Trust. You say you're a small 205er. Did you ever feel that pressure that guys go through maybe after a loss where you're like, man, should I cut down to 85? Should I do something drastic and crazy here? I mean, you know, Sugar Rashad just did it. Do you, do you ever have that thought? And look, Sugar Rashad's back at 205 now. Look, I, I, when I wrestle, I ain't cut much weight in wrestle. I cut to 184, but at the time I'd go to heavyweight. I went to 211. I went where the competition was. Yeah. Like, Honestly, like, why run from the competition? If you just lost, then why not improve and get your get your loss back at that weight class? Don't be like, you know what? Don't be an incredible shrinking man. Don't be like, oh, I lost the heavyweight. Ah, the answer is 205. Lost the 205. Ah, the answer is 185. Lost the 185. Ah, I got a better answer. 170. It don't work like that. The more the more you go down, the worse you're hurting your body. You look, you go overseas, the Russians, the Iranians, the Japanese. Everybody else but the Americans and Canadians and the Brazilians now, everyone's cutting weight. True. You know what I'm saying? But everybody, but everybody else is now going up. You see how the, in Europe, you see the guys a little smaller because they're like, you know, I would feel good and fight hard than, than be bigger and fight, fight terribly. You know what I'm saying? That's what they, that's what King they think. Mo's advice to fighters out there, stop moving down the weight. All right. Stop that crap. Stop that crap. Stop it. Stop it. Shout out to Teddy Atlas right there. Uh, Kingbo, we got a lot of headlines to zip through here. And the big one this Saturday was UFC Shanghai. An early morning start time on the East Coast. 
Michael Bisping on th- uh, on 21 days removed from his submission loss to George St. Pierre at UFC 217. Got, got, uh, you know, quote unquote sent to hell by Kelvin Gastelum via first round knockout. A beautiful left hook that turned the chin. A part of a three punch combo did the business here. Of course, this is going to become a controversial story, King Mo, when Bisping was originally given a 30 day medical suspension by the New York State Athletic Commission after his loss in which against GSP took some damage, was choked out cold. And on two weeks' notice, was allowed after some medical tests to run back this fight with Gastelum. You just ask yourself why. Now, had it not played out in a first-round knockout, we may not have cared as much. But this, to me, was your example of why you don't do this. Am I a sensitive fan journalist going too far? Or is this straight-up wrong to send a guy back in that quickly? Hindsight 2020, man. Think about it. Like... Uh, what, uh, he got he no no versus GSP I was there he got he got rocked you know he got choked out but he got choked out he got rocked it happens in fights we all get hit now here's the kicker he did he did testing he went and got medical medical testing done they found him cleared the fight he cleared him found him okay that's good enough for me okay. Bisping's a grown man Bisping could have been like you know what I'm not feeling good I'm not gonna I don't want to take this fight guess what. The UFC didn't reach out to Bisping. Bisping reached out to UFC. So what, he, what do you he say? He actually was in the car listening to Luke Thomas's MMA radio show, heard the news, instantly texted Dana. Within 20 minutes, they had a deal. Like, that's the kind of guy he is. But what do you think his motivation was in, in doing that? Because he didn't say – it wasn't going to be his final fight. It's not like he said, I'm so mad at the GSP loss. I'm just going to have my final fight in three weeks. I'm already in shape. I want to go out on top. He's already said he wants to come back in March when UFC goes to London for his career finale. Yeah. Cash out. That's what you call it. It's called the cash out. You're cashing out. Is he thinking, man, I want I want to get by that summer home so, I, I, you know, if I can get this free money here, let me just do it? You know what? He's like, all right, I got a few more fights left. So let me just, let me just get him. Let me get him in right now while I can, and then I'm gonna step out. It's all a cash right. out. Think all about right. it. Well, Joe Rogan, the the voice of the Octagon, had a quote about Bisping getting getting knocked out. He says, "Quote: You really have to protect a fighter from themselves. You really can't be letting a guy fight three weeks after an absolutely brutal fight like that. It just does not make sense. I don't think it's smart." End quote. I that was on his own podcast, the Joe Rogan Experience, and I find that. Not surprising because it's uh, to me it's the right take, but I just find it surprising that Joe Rogan was going out and saying it publicly. Not me. Joe Rogan's a G, man. Like, <laughs> if we can give him a show, if we can give him a show, I, I'd love to give him a show because Joe Rogan keeps it real. Like he says stuff that, like you know, I'm scratching my head, like, oh, did Dana White in the UFC see that? Because, man, that's kind of, oh, Joe, you're kind of stepping. Oh, calm down. We don't want to get you fired because we like seeing you on TV. Uh, I, Joe keeps it real. That's what I like about him. Even though it might hurt him with the people, the brass in the UFC. What he said, you know, granted, like, I'm a fighter, so, you know, if a fighter chooses to fight, you know, that's on them. But what he said is true, because fighters will, I, if you, if I have my leg cut off and I, and they're like, Mo, we need you to fill up this, fill in this fight. We'll pay you this much. And it was a good amount. I'd take it. But then, you know, my manager probably be like, Mo, you're injured. The, the promotion should be like, you're injured, or you just came off a hard one. They, you know, they, they could, they could have, they could have dug deep and found another alternate, you know, found somebody else to step in. Luke Rockhall could have stepped in, or somebody else. They could have found somebody else to step in. You know, he ain't gotta be a good person, but it could have been someone to step in instead of one of their um, former champions. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know, just the way he went out, man, was 
kind of rough. All right, the spin-off debates that came out of this. Okay, good win for Gastelum. It certainly puts him, you know, moving closer up to, to the in the middleweight rankings, even though he's keeps saying, I want to go back to welterweight. I want a rematch with Tyron Woodley. So that's a separate topic. We'll leave that alone. The big thing was the fallout on what the Bisping loss means to GSP's victory just three weeks ago, because now people are basically saying, well, that GSP win is meaningless. Look, Bisping just got rocked. You are one of the people that say, well, pump the brakes, bro. Yeah. Well, the thing, the thing is, like, look, I think George is all-time great. The, great the, five the number all-time, one all-time great? I don't know, because I think he's – because the thing is, like, when it comes down to it, like, MMA is really only, like, 25 years old. Really 25 years old. If, you know, think about this. If imagine this is boxing, right? Say we we're boxing back in the day, and we saw a few champions early in the early in boxing. We could think about this: if we we if we rated every champion we saw early in boxing, we would have twenty five different all time greats. It's not up to us to determine who's the all time. It's gonna be up to our kids to determine who the all time great is. It's always gonna be like that. Like 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 with Ali, Ali would say he's the greatest. People people accept it, but now my generation. It's like okay, all these definitely the greatest. Even the even the younger generation, it's like it's up to the next generation after this stuff is done to determine who the greatest is. Because if they, if, if if we if we determine who the greatest is right now, they're gonna be saying like every every champion's the greatest. Oh no, Mighty Mouse. What's Mighty Mouse loses? Oh no, actually um Daniel. If Daniel loses, no, actually it's John. John loses. No, it's actually Fedor. So we're gonna all we all we do is like it's like the juice. Whoever's winning, whoever's winning has the juice. Let him lose. Whoever beat him has the juice. I feel like. It's up to the next generation to pick who the who the goat is because they will be grown they will be grown up in MMA and seen it. Really, we didn't grow up in MMA. We saw it, but when I was in high school, when it came out, pretty much it was like, well, yeah, high school, middle school, but it wasn't like it wasn't like how it, how it is now. Back then, it was it was banned. Now it's on TV. Every kid sees it. Kids can identify the moves. Back then, I didn't know what an armbar was. Now you can talk to a a seven-year-old that goes to my gym and they watch MMA all the time. And they'll, they'll tell you about arm bar, about the transitions. I say leave it to the next generation, the younger generation, to pick the goat. All right, but what about what this Bisping loss does, if anything, to GSP standing right now among the pound for pound best? Because some people, like Kenny Florian, right, the the, the UFC analyst, after GSP beat Bisping, he's like, GSP's number one pound for pound in the world right now. That's an unbelievable win. Where I'm on the other side going. That's a good win for GSP, especially four years gone, moving up in weight. All the respect in the world. But I didn't think Bisping was a top five middleweight, even though he had the belt. So I'm sort of saying, pump the brakes, GSP in your top 15 pound for pound, that's fine. But I don't necessarily rush him up there because to me, pound for pound, half of the equation is who would win right now if all the weight classes were the same? And I just don't think GSP is even beating maybe Robert Whitaker. Like I'd have to see that happen first to believe it. So... Where are you on the idea of GSP coming back after four years where he would fit right now, pound for pound, among the current guys? You know what? I think he's somewhere in the top ten, top fifteen. It's hard to it's hard to to, for, to erase what everybody else has done over the past four or five years that George has been gone. You just can't it's like he beat Bisping, great win, but so did so did uh, I felt like Anderson beat Bisping. I agree. But, so did Luke Rockhall. I thought hey, Luke Rockhall. Dan Henderson almost sent Bisping to hell twice in that fight. I mean, that was a rough fight for Michael. Exactly. But the thing is that the main thing is people are giving George um, um, the um, proper pound spot because he, the four-year layoff. And he comes back and beat a guy that's bigger. But the thing is, like, the guy – you know, Bisping's a good, he's a good fighter, champion. But 
I don't, I don't think George would have came back if it was like Romero or Luke Rockhart. If put like this, if Luke Rockhart would have never lost to George, or never lost to Bisping, George would still be retired. Wow, take that. You might be right. And to me, it's like, look, GSP is gonna have to come back and like beat Tyron Woodley for the belt. If he does that, I'll consider him in the, you know, in the top pound for pound of the world conversation, right? That that's a big move. Not no disrespect to the Bisping win, but I just need to see a little bit more. King Mo, we got to roll on. Ben Askren, the former Bellator champion, concluded his own career on his own terms here over the weekend in Asia. He's the one welterweight champion, and he moved to 18 and 0 after finishing Shinya Aoki via 57 second knockout. It was, he slammed Aoki and it was ground and pound and it was over. So Askren at age 33, which he said he would do a few months ago, retired from the sport. Now here's the claim he gets to make. He, that he's the best welterweight in the world and basically he's saying the only way I'll come back is if I get a chance to prove that's true. And the name he specifically called out, although he would fight Woodley, he said the name he really wants is George St. Pierre. He's basically saying, look, UFC, you wouldn't let me in your doors when I was a free agent in 2013 and I left Bellator. What have I done since then? I've beaten every welterweight I could. Give me the chance to fight GSP or I'm just going to walk away and call myself the best of all time at 170 pounds. What's your thoughts here? I'm Ben Askren. I'm a huge fan of the guy. I love his work. I want to see him get that chance. Uh, I think that... Uh... I think he's a great fighter. I think he's doing his thing. I just don't know if he'll get the chance. I don't see it happening. Like he beat Aoki, which is a good win, but Aoki hasn't looked the same for years. You know what I'm saying? And it's not Ben's fault that there's no opponents for him. It's just that they can't find no opponents to, to push him. Sapo tried, and then he got poked in the eye and then missed weight the second time. Um, with Santos. But, uh, uh, I don't know. I, you know, him, I would, Let's see if I Roy McDonald. I was going to say that. So the cynical answer here to Ben, because, look, I love his talent. I love his cockiness. I love all that. But my cynical answer is, okay, if the UFC won't take you, go beat Roy McDonald and knock on the UFC's door after that, right? Or go fight Douglas Lima, Lorenz Larkin. Go fight somebody a little bit higher than what they're offering you at one championship. Yeah, and the thing is, I don't know who's going to take him. I don't know if Belcher will take him back because I don't know if I don't know. I don't know if Coker might, but you know, Bjorn, the whole thing with Bjorn was bad. And who knows if, if, uh, Asker would come back to Bellator. I don't know if he would. He'd probably go to the UFC, but who knows the UFC will take him because the UFC right now is looking for certain, certain people, certain demographic or certain fighters that have a certain look, I guess. They should take Ben if they want to, you know, they took, they took, um, Eddie Alvarez. Granted, Eddie Alvarez and Ben have different styles, but Ben's undefeated. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that counts for something. Now, we don't know when, in 2013, when UFC said no to Ben when he was a free agent. We don't know, like, the financials or, or the negotiation, so it's hard to know the full story. But you look back on that, it's, it seems unfair that, that the UFC didn't end up giving him a chance. Was it just Dana didn't like him? I mean, was there anything else to that story? Dana didn't like him. They probably didn't like his style. Um, and two, think about this, right? Think about how they marketed um, Eddie Alvarez, how they marketed um, Will Brooks. They said Will Brooks and Eddie Alvarez came, hit the, hit the local scene or the, the regional scene by storm and then signed the Bellator. So they said about Will Brooks in Australia. And I'm like, really? Local scene? Like what regional scene was that? But they don't want to give Bellator any credit. So imagine, think about this, right? Imagine Ben Astrid leaves, leaves Bellator, goes to UFC undefeated, comes to the UFC still undefeated and beats all the welterweights. Then all the, 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 the UFC's credibility will be shot because the UFC claims they have the best fighters. Well, you didn't because the best fighter was Ben Askren in a different organization. True. So imagine if Ben Askren comes in and smashes the welterweight division, 
them with. People are going to be like, you know what? I guess the UFC was lying this whole time. Yeah, very interesting. King Mo, gun to your head. Not that I'm putting the gun to your head, but the, the, as the phrase goes, GSP versus Ben Askren in six months. Who you got? Hmm. Depends on depends on game plan. I you know I think Ben Askren be hard to beat, but at the same time, Georgia's jab is going to be hard to get past. You know, and, and that jab, you know, granted it's just a jab, but the jab can do damage. A swollen eye, a busted lip, bloody nose changes your takedown attempts by far. Changes everything. So I know if Ben can, if Ben if Ben can lock his hands on Georgia's legs, Georgia's on the ground on his back for the rest of that round. Straight up. I'd love to see that. Uh, King Mo, UFC 219, December 30th in Las Vegas, the New Year's Eve weekend card. It has finally taken shape, and you know what, King Mo? It ain't good, all right? Or it ain't great. And this card has become known for being great. You remember last year, right? Amanda Nunez, Ronda Rousey, Cody Garbrandt, Dominic Cruz. Well, this year, it's a make peace. It's a scramble, and we have... Chris Cyborg Justino defending her featherweight title in the main event against Holly Holm and your co-main Habib Nurmagomedov, Edson Barbosa in three round lightweight action. What we do know, Habib said he was offered Tony Ferguson for the co-main for that interim belt. Ferguson turned it down knowing the potential money that's in the bullpen for him if he can get Connor to agree. Your thoughts on how this card has come together. We couldn't get Ty Woodley Diaz, right, like we wanted. We couldn't get Conor McGregor. We got this. Is this acceptable for a New Year's weekend card? Well, it's going to have to be because that's the only options they'll have. I'm not, I'm not, you know, Habib, I watch Habib fight, but I really don't watch the fights that much. You know what I'm saying? Like, I do, but I'm not. Some people are sticklers. Like, they, they want to see every matchup. Me, I just let it play out. Come, come, you know, um, the New Year's, the New Year's card. It looks bleak, but here's the thing about the, if you look at the history of MMA, cards that look great on paper, for the most part, fizzle. Yeah. Cards that, cards that look weak and like, are sleepers, or, actually, cards that look weak and like, and boring are sleepers. Think about it. There were some cards that have looked terrible, but have panned out. I mean, there's only been one card that I can say the UFC, like, did a great job, maybe two. Both cards in Madison Square Garden turned out just right for them. You know what I'm saying? But other than that, mm, they're having a hard time pushing stars, making new stars. They're having a hard time doing a lot of stuff because it's, too, it's oversaturated. They can't, they can't even market or, or they can't market these fights. Think about it. Shanghai was never marketed. Australia was really never marketed. There are a lot of fights that are poorly marketed because they have too many going on. You do. They have five events the ufc in the month of december five events i mean that's that's the reason why you're having trouble i mean we're going to preview 218 in a minute it's pretty pretty damn loaded despite a couple of those fights falling apart yet they're struggling to put a co-main up for 219 you have five events this month stop the madness well the thing is that stop the madness but the thing is you have you have ufc groupies or super fans that will pay for everything and anything and everything now, until that changes, you you know you're still gonna see the same some some of these same weak cards. But if if the fans band together, like you know what, we're not gonna pay for these pay per views. It would force the UFC to to change things up and step their game up. Right sure. now, they're trying, they're doing they're, they're they're doing their thing. But across the board, I feel like MMA across the board is a little oversaturated. I guarantee, if you look at the ratings for 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 every organization across the board, I guarantee it's probably dropped a little bit. 
Yeah, I think it has as well. Uh, to close on this, uh, in one word, here's your one-word answer. Is Holly Holm loser of three of her last four, including title fight losses to Misha Tate at Bantamweight and Jermaine Durandamy at Featherweight? Is she deserving of this title shot coming off of a knockout of Betch Cohea? Uh, no, but here's the thing. Who else is going to fight? Who else is going to fight? Anybody that's Good willing point. to fight Cyborg is, is, is worthy of fighting Cyborg. It's like yeah. I have to be a hypocrite in my analysis of this. I'd rather see Cyborg home than Cyborg against, like, you know, name another featherweight. Because you really can't. There's no featherweights in this company. So, yeah, I guess I'd rather have this. I mean, probably, you know who's most deserving of this? Jermaine Durandamy, the person they stripped the belt from because she, you know, it's like, come on. You don't want to take the fight, but the thing is, like, Cyborg has cleared out the division on a nation, on a worldwide level. On a worldwide level, Cyborg has cleared the division out. Think about it, like, this, now, I usually never say, I'm never gonna say someone's unbeatable, but right now, if, if I can say, if, if I had to pick someone to lose first, it wouldn't be Cyborg. Cyborg would be the person I'd pick to lose last in the UFC. Wow. You might be right. Straight up. Think about it, who's gonna beat her? There's no one in that weight class. It's if you have to be, get one thirty five pounds to move up to fight this woman. Who's gonna beat her? It's gonna be hard to find someone to beat her unless you find another person, another man or a younger version of her that is skilled and has the same skill set she does. All right, one more piece of news before we get into our two eighteen preview. Uh, UFC Women's Bantamweight Champion Amanda Nunez, during an interview with FlowCombat.com, said, "I don't really fit the profile of a UFC champion." But they have to do business with me, even though they're never going to promote me to a level like they did Rousey or Holm. They want blondies, cute little girls who fight and take pictures. Let's face it, I have to face the girls who sell best. End quote. And then there was a meme put out on Twitter of her wearing a, a blonde wig as to try to make her point. I don't believe she was the one who created it, but she did tweet it out. Uh, is this true? Is this truth there? She's spitting, she's spitting hard truth there? I believe it. I Let's, like you know, and the thing is, like people are like she's race baiting, she's race, but she's not. It's the truth. It's the truth. If you look, think about this, right? Close your eyes. Now think about this. Picture, you know, when the UFC pans out to the crowd and they pan out to the crowd, what do you see? You don't see no Brazil. You don't see like many Brazilians or many blacks and Mexicans. You see mainly people that the UFC try to market towards, and that's like the suburban white people. You know what I'm saying? It's nothing bad, but you you want you want to mark the people. You want to market what people relate to. And really, let's be real. Amanda, she's from Brazil. She's, you know, she's a lesbian, which is, it was saying a bad thing, but it's kind of, like, I feel like the UFC, knowing that, Don, like, you know, um, Dan White and them, Dan White is kind of conservative. I feel like he just played, played it safe. Let's pick an American, a nice looking American person that speaks good English, that looks like the person next door, like Paige Van Zandt or Sage Northcutt. They looked at your neighbor that next door or a kid you went to high school with, you know what I'm saying? Like a rich high school, you know what I'm saying? But Amanda just, they can find ways to market her. It's just that they're just being lazy and not doing it. Now, I think you're right overall, but there's always the counter argument. Is the counter argument that the time she's been in there, not with, you know, Misha Tate at 200, not with Rousey last, uh, December, her, she hasn't moved numbers. So is the argument, well, look, she doesn't really move numbers on her own, so we're going to give up. Or should it be, well, help her move numbers by telling her story more? Help her move numbers. That's all. That's all. Think about this, right? Ronda, Ronda just didn't blow up all of a sudden. Granted, Ronda had been some undefeated submitting people, but it took Bellator, not Bellator, but it took Coker and Strikeforce to tell her story. And then once they told her, once they told her story, she's limping. 
everyone, oh, she's Olympian. She's won all these fights by submission in the first round. Oh, well, tell us more about her. They did that, and all of a sudden, people fell in love with her. Same thing with Gina Carano. I don't know Gina Carano that well, but I knew that her dad played football for the Cowboys. I knew she played volleyball, you know what I'm saying? I don't even know much about her, but I knew that because they told her story. So it got people interested in her and got people wanting to watch her, you know what I'm saying? They got to do the same thing with Amanda. Do a documentary on Amanda. Show where she came from. Show she came from the favela. Show that. That's inspirational in itself. You know what I'm saying? Show her. Tell, have her tell a story about when she told her parents about you know when she first when she first found out that she was a, um, a lesbian. Right, and she and she's you know you know living with. I'm not sure if they're engaged, but living with Nina Ansarov, another fighter in the UFC company. I mean, there's a there's a. You're right. I don't think they've gone above and beyond to tell that story. I think they've sort of told that story in passing. And they and they, and they won't go above and beyond because they just, they just won't. You know, like like think about this, right? Like how many times they gone above and beyond for Tyron Woodley? After after I mean, and the thing is like people want to bash Tyron, but. But I went to, but Tyron was like, Mo, like, I'm not lying. Go to my, go to my Twitter page and look at my mentions. And I did it. And all I saw was, you stupid N word, this, oh, you, wow. this. And like, you know, you ain't this. And, and I was like, I was like, man, I was like, where's the UFC at? You know what I'm saying? To, to stick up for their champion. Yeah. I, when I first started fighting, I remember like, granted, like my old manager, Ryan Parsons, you know, he's a good dude. You know, granted we parted ways, but. I remember he 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 go he go to the message boards and every time he go to the message boards he go sure dog and be like oh. he call he called Greg Savage up at the time when he owned it and it was like hey Greg uh, on your message board I seen some I'm like you know I seen some racist remarks about King Mo he have he take it down like there's stuff like that but it's, it's stuff like that that goes on all the time it's just that you figure it'd be good that the UFC speak out on like you know what Willis be have speak out on. Um, the champions behalf and, um, Amanda, tell her a story, do a documentary on her, put it in a commercial, do something for her, you know what I'm saying? Let it, let it be known that, hey, you can come from Brazil, you can be poor from the favela, you can be gay or lesbian, and you can be a UFC champion and loved by the people. Are they play, is the UFC, from a marketing standpoint, just playing to its, its core base and not too often out of maybe necessity to, to make the numbers back from that sale? Or is it just, they don't know any better? I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting debate. It's both, but, man, it's like this, right? Like, it's both. Being being a black man in, in MMA or, or being a minority, even gay, or, when you when you go to the events, you look, you notice that there are a lot of people in the crowd that aren't like you. Like you stand like a sore thumb. Amanda stands like, look, Amanda stands out worse than me. She's a female Brazilian that's that's a lesbian. Like she stands out way even by far far more than me, and she's a little accent too. So she's gonna stand out. Like it's, it'll be a good time for the UFC to get behind. They're foreign fighters. I feel like they don't. They don't do it enough. Like they're Asian fighters. They've always complained about, you know, being 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 mistreated. Think about it. You know, they got this lot of them complain about being mistreated, like Korea, Korean zombie in them. You got some of the Brazilians complaining about the treatment. They, some of them are even mad about what, like you know, like Grant, like some of the stuff Kobe said was like, you know, Kobe's on board. Some of the stuff he said was offensive. The UFC kept like, hey, we don't believe what Kobe thinks. Kobe has the right to say what he says, but we don't we don't agree with it. But they never made a statement. You know, it's like some stuff they should make a statement on just to just to show that hey, we're 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 fair. But if you look at it, they don't show those they don't show those practices. Some guys get fined, some guys don't. Some guys get cut, some guys don't. Jason Hyde got fired for pushing the referee after he got submitted by Dos Santos. Remember that? Yeah. He's, he's like, what's going to push the now? Look at Connor. Connor jumped. Connor jumped on the on the on the on the on the on the, uh, on the cage, slapped a guy from Bellator. Cops down from the cage, he runs in the ring, in the cage, you know he's not supposed to be in there, then push the referee. And what happened? What's the UFC said? Nothing. But the UFC is quick to make a statement with Jason High. 
and quickly made a statement with Roy Nelson. Yeah, you, well, I'll be honest. UFC's been quiet on a lot of topics lately, which is just like, man, you know, the do you know what would have happened five years ago? Dana would have come right out and and took every bullet head on and been like, well, f you. You know what I mean? Nowadays, it's it's a it's a different model. It's a different ownership. King Mo, we got to get into this Saturday's UFC 218 card from Detroit to wrap the show. Although I could go all day here at King Mo <laughs> break down uh, break down all the the social marketing every I mean everything going on here with the UFC product with the MMA in general. But we got, we got to do it. We, one, one of these days we got to do a marathon. We do like a two hour show. I'm down for it. Oh, 12. Yeah, let's go. Let's go 12 hours. Let's go live. Let's bring let's let's bring this show to the masses. We'll get there. 218. <laughs> Is Saturday at the brand new Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. You have a last minute change to the main event, but maybe you're gonna tell me I'm crazy. Storyline wise, I kind of like the reboot a little bit better, and I may be the only one. Frankie Edgar pulls out with an injury last month. Max Holloway will have a rematch with longtime featherweight champion Jose Aldo. The reason, storyline wise, why I like this King Mo is this: when Aldo got Pretty much dominated by Holloway earlier this year. It was the passing of the guard. It was Jose Aldo is now, you know, done on the very elite level. Holloway's your next star. But it came out after the fact from Aldo's coach that he had a leg injury. And that's why he wasn't kicking. And his game is working off of those kicks, right? Timing, counter-striking, all that. He wasn't the same guy. Well, he's given a mulligan, a second chance here to prove that he is at age 31 still that same guy. And the reason why I think that matters is he didn't get that second chance against Conor McGregor when every champion who has tenure has been seemingly been given that chance, right? Luke Rockle didn't get the chance against Bisping. Well, guess what? He didn't have any title defenses, right? Like, it's a different story. Aldo was the man, the inaugural featherweight champion, unbeaten for a decade. He didn't get that chance. I feel like, ironically, he deserves the second chance. And King Mo, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Aldo wins on Saturday night. Your thoughts on that boldness? Okay, here's my thing, right? Quick question. Where did they fight out the first time? Brazil, if I'm if I'm correct. Okay. Now, the leg injury. What type of leg injury? Was it muscle? Was it – here's my thing, right? Jose Aldo's been fighting for a long time. We, we've all fought with injuries. You know, we all make adjustments based on the injuries. I don't see much gonna, that's going to change in this fight. Unless Jose Aldo can change something technically or game plan-wise, I don't see anything changing in this fight. I think Holloway's on fire. He's younger. Um, I think he's confident. I think that he's seen – the thing about this, he fought the best Jose Aldo he could possibly fight, even with the injury, because Jose Aldo is fighting in front of his countrymen. Like, you don't lose in Brazil and being from Brazil. You don't get stopped in Brazil, you know, defending your championship in Brazil. You're, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I think that Max Holloway's the favorite. I think he's going to do the same thing he did last fight. Might I mean, be a little more competitive. But I just think that I think Holloway's gonna push, pull it out. I mean, it's a very fair comeback there. I, it's just it's surprising that you look back on that fight, and and again, I'm not trying to you know disparage Holloway here, but like Aldo wasn't Aldo, and I don't think that it's like ages crept up to him because the fight before against Frankie Edgar, Aldo was like Floyd Mayweather out there in terms of how he you know used defense and counter striking to control the distance and control the action. He just wasn't that guy anymore. So maybe the injury is a little bit more of an excuse. Maybe it was a bad night. Maybe he underestimated Holloway. Maybe a lot of different things. But I think your point that this rematch will be more competitive will be true. I just feel like Aldo isn't done. I feel like there's some there's something left there. He's not done. Just here's the thing, right? And if Aldo's listening. Aldo thinks listening. I wish Aldo would come to American Top Team. I wish Aldo would like no I, no no. Granted, like um, Novo and Yao is a great gym. They got killers there, but I think that sometimes when you're in a place too long, 
and you stop growing, it's time to leave, grow, and he can come back. He can always grow and come back. Um, um, Alexander Usyk, he's a boxer, cruiserweight champion. He fought. He, he was trained by Lomachenko's daddy. Left it for Ali Brashear. You know what I'm saying? Got got better than went back to Lomachenko's daddy for train for this tournament. So, like Jose Ali can, can leave, expand his wings, get you know pick up new things, then go back to Novlin Yao with the new things he's learned and help the whole gym get better as well as himself. I think he got too. I think what you're saying is he got too comfortable, right? And I and I, I don't disagree with that. Way too comfortable. He got too comfortable because no one else was really pushing him. And then you got Max Holloway. Um, you have a uh, you have Connor show up, and you have even Frankie Edgar show up. I just you know, think Aldo's too good for the narrative to be, well, look, he had a great run. Now, you know, he'll still be around. He'll still be a tough fighter, but he's just not that guy. I don't think he's going to have the same fall that Henan Barrow had because that was more weight cut related in my eyes. Maybe Henan Barrow wasn't as good as we thought he was during that stretch. I think Aldo is who who we think he is. And I think this offers him a rare second chance to sort of prove that. I think he's a better fighter than Holloway, pound for pound. Like, you know, when you match them up, Holloway's aggressive. You, 25 years old. I mean, everything going for him here. But, I, you know, again, I'm just, I'm calling it. I think, I, I think I, he's got that chance to do it. I think he will. I think we go the distance. It will be interesting. Maybe, maybe Max goes through, runs right through him and, and I eat some crow, but that will be, that will be interesting to see. Well, let's be real. Let's be real. Max Holloway's a younger version of Jose Aldo. Ooh. Let's be real. Jose Aldo ain't the same. Look, look, Max Holloway's more aggressive. Jose Aldo used to come out aggressive. Remember? True. I remember I was in San Diego when he, when he beat, uh, Cup Swanson with a flying knee. Switch knee. I was there. I was there in the crowd, like, Kate side. I watched that. I remember watching Jose Aldo come out. He's so aggressive. Now you watch him. His first step is to side or backwards. He's jabbing more. He's not as aggressive. He's not coming with the heat like he used to. That's, that's due to age and due to getting hit a lot. Probably due to some training. Probably getting hit in training. I think that, um, I think I really think that he should leave Nova and Yao just for maybe just for a year or something like that, just to just to pick up new things. Like go 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 back to Oxnard like he did earlier. Go to Oxnard and just focus on his boxing. Boom. You know, bring we'll bring in the wrestling guy with him and just focus on his boxing and wrestling. We'll then go to LA train work on his jujitsu. Just work on work with different people. See if that work with Robert Garcia pays off with, with maybe a different strategy. We'll see how that works out. The co-main event, very good heavyweight bout here. Alistair Overeem, Francis Ngannou. This could be a de facto, right, like number one contender. Like the winner here could be getting the next title shot, of course, dependent upon Cain Velasquez's health and all that. Will DC move up? All those other things. But just in the very thin heavyweight rankings, this is your fight to determine who's next. And it's a fight to determine, King Mo, if Francis Ngannou, through five UFC fights, is as good as we think he is. The only name that he's destroyed of those five stoppages was Andre Arlovsky. This is a considerable step up to Overeem. But Alistar's got the chin at this age that you you can take him out early. So it's like almost like Ngannou can win, and we still may not learn what we need to learn. Like we need to see him in adverse situations. We need to see Ngannou on his back. But either way, he has a chance to make a big statement here. Well, we've seen Ngannou on his back versus Curtis Blades. Um, I I know I played this off that one fight. I know I know enough about Ngannou off that one fight. Um. I think Ngannou's going to run through over him. I think once this happens, everybody's going to be like, oh, man, no one's going to beat Ngannou. No, one, no one's going to beat him. And I think that he's going to have a tougher fight, tougher matchup with someone like Kane or um, someone like Daniel, somebody like uh, Myosik. Somebody has a different skill set because if you notice, a lot of guys he's beating just have one skill set. They only have two. He beat Curtis Blades at the time, which is a wrestler. He beat um, he beat, he beat Arlovsky, who's just a, a striker. You know what I'm saying? Like most of the guys, Overeem is a – 
striker that has a good guillotine. So he's fighting guys that one with he's, everyone he's beaten just has they, they all have just one they have one discipline they're good at. Well, when you sit to Myosik, he's a good wrestler, good hands. You got with Kane, good kickboxer, good hands, good wrestler, good grappling. Once he, I want to see him face, face guys with multiple faucets to their game. Yeah, I agree. Yep. I agree on that. Do you find it interesting that every time Dana White is asked though about like, you know, who's your next future star, he is quick to say Ngannou. He is, he does make Mike Tyson comparisons. Is this wishful thinking or do you get the feeling? I mean, could he go on a Tyson run? Can he run through my Ochis? I mean, uh, it just, it, it goes back to what you just said. We got to see him against a, a guy who can do more than one thing. Now what's up with this whole Mike, like Mike Tyson? Oh, he's like Mike Tyson. Ronda Rousey is like Mike Tyson. Like, <laughs> oh man, look. Ronda Rousey is Ronda Rousey. Ngannou's Ngannou. Of course, look, think about this, right? The gifts, like, it's the finesse game, right? I'm going to be real with you. Ngannou's a good fighter. Dan White's pushing Ngannou because he's a good fighter. But here's a bigger picture that people are missing. Where's Ngannou from? Uh, France by way of Cameroon. Okay, he's from, but, okay, but he speaks French. He lives in France, right? What, what's, what's, what's France missing right now? Legalized MMA. Wow, legalized MMA. Okay, so you get a, your first French champion. Where would you have a event at? You have a French champion. Wow, Paris. Wow, look at this guy, King Mo, bringing it 100 level right now. The get go, because the thing is, like, you, I've never heard like the only time they push somebody from from a different country is if they have a, a strong strong fan base from that country. And Ngannou has a strong fan base from that country, and that country has money, and that country is lacking MMA. So. Let Ngannou be champion. If Ngannou's the champion, then you have somebody that's well-spoken, that speaks the language, and is back by the UFC, so they can go there and, and talk about the safeties and, and how, how, how MMA is much safer than boxing, in my, which it is. So I'm telling you, Ngannou's going to be the way for the UFC to get into France. Wow. Love that take. Love that take. King Mo, let's speed through. Europe. All the amazing Europe. Remember that. All the amazing Europe. That is true. That is true. Flyweight matchup. I like this one. Henry Cejudo, Sergio Pettis. Cejudo bounced back last fight from those two defeats on on the highest level, right? The title loss to Mighty Mouse, that war with Benavidez that could have gone either way, fight of the year basically, and knocked the hell out of Wilson Hayes. Uh, he's, we talked about this after that victory at uh, UFC 215. He seems reborn. I see him showing you that again against a very improved Sergio Pettis. Yeah, I, th- I think that must come down to it. So he does too many ways of winning the fight. You know, he can go to the to the ground. He can stand with him. I just think that Pettis, like, his lack of wrestling takedown defense game is what's going to hurt him. That's going to hurt him. And I think Cejudo's going to put the pressure on him, keep him guessing, take him down, control him, and just wear him out. I mean, I think Cejudo was the originator of when you came up with that math equation about MMA. I mean, I think he was the guy you were talking about. You know, if you, if you put hands on that Olympic-level wrestling, you got problems at flyweight, people. Yep, yep, definitely. Him, not, not just that, but Mighty Mouse too. Grand Mighty Mouse ain't an Olympic level wrestler, but he has Olympic level skills and, uh, athletic ability. So, you know, hands on anybody. <laughs> hands, I'm telling you right now, the new trend is boxing. It's yeah. gonna change a little bit. We'll see, but right now, the new trend is boxing. I, I like that. I like that style. You know, we're, we're, we're moving on from wrestling. It's boxing. But, uh, King Mo, if you like violence, if you like blood, if you like, uh, if you like mayhem, you're going to love this lightweight offering between Ultimate Fighter coaches Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gagey. Holy crap, King Mo. Do I want to see this one? It's going to be violent and nuts. And if you've read Eddie Alvarez's comments on Monday that he gave to MMA Fighting and Ariel Hawani about this fight, he's essentially mentally preparing himself not to care and to produce you. Uh, uh, 
he thinks this fight will determine, quote, UFC's most violent man. I mean, if you're just like a basic fan who, like, writes just bleed across your chest, this is your Super Bowl, right? You know what? Really, he don't have to say nothing. Because <laughs> Eddie Alvarez, you look at his history, all you have to do is highlights. Watch all his fights. They're, they're always, like, besides a few, most of the fights are back and forth battles. He'll start off getting rocked. Like, while his fight with Joaquin Hansen. Went out there, got rocked, came back, rocked him, got rocked again, rocked him, then stopped him or beat him. What, Kawajiri, same thing. A lot of his fights are that way. Um, Gaethje's the same, Gaethje's the same way. Both hittable. This is, this is gonna be a fight of the guy who, who gets hit the least. Whoever gets hit the least is gonna win. Whoever lands the bit, the first big shot is gonna win. So it's gonna be a all offensive battle. Ain't no defense in this one. Now here's the thing. I wondered if Eddie Alvarez is possibly trolling us and doing like the, the bait and switch where he talks about war and then comes out and wants to like wrestle and, and fight for points. He had this quote to Ariel Hawani. I will say this. It's going to be effing nuts because I spent a great deal of this training camp working not giving an F myself and I'm getting better and better the less I care. Now that tells you it's going to be war. Do fighters still these days though Pull that, pull that, uh, that switcheroo where they say, you know, Floyd's done it a few times. Oh, this is going to be a knockout. I'm going for it. And then he comes out and he's still Floyd. You know, of course it's going to be, it's going to be a switcheroo, but you know what? Um, it's always there, but with Eddie Alvarez, it's going to be hard, man. It's going to be hard because it's just look at his nature. Because he loves brawling. You're right. Because the history of Bellator brawling, even in his biggest fight of his career against Conor McGregor, when it behooved him not to fight in box and brawl, he fought and boxed and brawled and got KO'd. Yeah. Yeah. And, Live by the sword, die by the sword. You know what I'm saying? Live by the big move, die by the big move. And, you know, live by the, live by the brawl, die by the brawl. And it's gonna happen, man. I, I hope, I, I think it's gonna be a violent fight. I don't know who's gonna win, but I know this. Somebody's getting their ass knocked out. And somebody's bleeding. <laughs> Alright. Gagey has a chance here to become, uh, MMA's Arturo Gotti. And I mean that, right? If you watch that Michael Johnson fight, he can go to the, to the brinks of defeat and keep coming back. It's a, you'll have a short lifespan, right? Ruslan Provodnikov had a few fights in boxing like that and eventually it slows and wears you down. You can't make a living walking face first into head on traffic. You can argue that Diego Sanchez, by the way, has made a fine living doing that. But still, there's a heavy price to pay for fighting like that. I think it comes down to Eddie has a chin where he can be rocked. Is his chin stronger? Then Gage G's iron will. That's a good one. Uh, I, I think I think not just iron will, but Gage G's a big dude with the weight class. He's a big fit. He's big, big strong guy, and uh, his hands aren't that bad. As a matter of fact, we had the same we had the same coach. My boy brother Farid Samad, who trained Zab Judah, who trained Roy Nelson's last fight, who trained a bunch of good boxers, who worked with Savannah Marshall, the girl that beat um Carissa Shields um, in the amateurs. Mm-hmm. He um worked with Gaethje in, 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 earlier in his career, and he told me he's like, "Mo Gaethje, Gaethje's a damn zombie. He comes like he, he just comes to fight. Nothing, nothing's holding this guy down. His hands are good. He just ain't shown it. He's got he has good hands. He just ain't shown it. You've seen his power, but you haven't seen him slipping in his move movement. He just he's a fighter that forgets what he has. You know what I'm saying? Because he likes to go out there and brawl. I mean, he's had some wars in World Series of Fighting where he was the champion. I wonder, like. If he can win this, like, are they, would they fast track him to Connor just because of the markability in that fight? And because, you know, he'd be vulnerable for, for Connor's pinpoint striking, but you could sell that he's coming for Connor's soul? Yeah, or he could fight Habib and just get smashed or fight 
He can fight Tony Ferguson. It's a lot because who knows if Conor's coming back. If I were them, if I were fighters right now, I wouldn't even worry about Conor. I just worry about winning because if you're winning and getting the belt back, there might be a chance Conor might come back and fight you because you're winning and you're hot right now. You know what I'm saying? But if you're waiting for Conor, don't because who knows? When he, he might fight Pauli Malignaggi next in, in, in March. And after that, take some more time off. So I wouldn't I wouldn't wait for him. I hey, just he might him. fight uh, Oscar De La Hoya who called him out. And he might fight Manny Pacquiao who just called him out on Thanksgiving over Twitter. What the heck's going on here? People love cash, I guess. You know, I mean, that's the way it works. Yeah, yeah, you know, cash out. Everyone's trying to get money, and granted, I don't know who's going to watch that, but somebody will watch it. Well, I'm look, not watching. I'd watch it because I'm, a, I'm a, you know, look, it, it feeds into the – everyone's got a vice in life, King Mo. You know, a lot of people are, are polished and put together, but you put fast food, you put alcohol, you put women in front of them, you put gambling, they'll show their true colors. I'm sorry, King Mo, you put an old guy fight that's a little bit sexy in, in carnival in front of me, I'm going to I'm gonna buy it. I'm going to be there. That's why I love Scott Coker, all right? I'm going to be there. I'm going to be watching it. So <laughs> it just is what it is. All right. We all, we all got our issues. Let's close on 218 with the opener. I love this. Oh my God. Women's straw weight. This could be a fun, dramatic fight. Tisha Torres, Michelle Waterson. I have a really tough time giving the edge to someone on this one, but it's important. The winner's really going to, going to take a step forward in a crowded division there at straw weight. Yeah. It's going to be a tough one. Uh, it's going to come down to grappling, striking. They both can strike. I think, I think, um, um, Karate Hottie has a longer reach. You know, she's a little longer. Tisha has a speed advantage, but the ground game. Karate Hottie's better ground game. And, uh, and I think she if, has more ways to win a fight than Tisha, right? Like, I love Tisha. I love watching her. She's all fire, but, you know, doesn't, has never won a fight by TKO, has just one submission win. Yeah, but it's at the same time, like, Tisha's hard to, she'll be hard to take down because she moves so well. She's so short. It's going to come down to just the game plan. I don't know where Tisha's training at. I think she's training in Colorado. She's not with the American top team no more. Um, I know that I know that Cardi Hottie has a good camp and she has smart coaches. So come down to the game plan. Whoever has the better game plan will win. Will be interesting because Tisha uh, has a pair of fights already against Rose, the champion of the division, and has a victory against her under the Invicta banner. I wonder if uh, we'll ever see them in a in a trilogy down the line, and if the belt will be on you know at stake. It's interesting. Obviously, there's some big names between the two right now, including Joanna, Claudia. Carolina, but I love that division. I love this match. We'll see how it plays out. King Mo, that'll do it for a loaded, a loaded show and a hot fire 100 all the time. King Mo, we're back in the podcast business and you were back this week talking Grand Prix, talking everything. I, I'm fired up just to be sitting across from you here uh, over the, uh, over the wonders of Skype. Thanks, man. You know, I got five words. You know what I'm saying? What's, what's the time to, what's the time to be back? You know what I'm saying? Let's time to get out. All right, let's surf it up right now. We could we could follow me on B Campbell CBS on Twitter. Follow the King on Twitter and Instagram at King Mo FH. Check out our other in this corner offerings this week, including an interview with this guy. Oh yeah, King Mo Shadow Box right there. Really strong interview on the boxing show with the great Roy Jones, talking hip hop, talking everything. Yeah, man. Yeah. Tell him I said what's up, man. I love Roy Jones. Oh, love yeah. Him. Always instant entertainment. King Mo, we leave people with a message to on the way out. I'll, I'll throw the alley-oop to you. All right, look. We are back, and we out.